Every now and then we cover something from the project that this show gets its name from, and this is one of those weeks. So on this episode of This Week in Linux, we'll discuss the release of Linux 5.0. Then we'll cover some other releases from Lineage OS, Nutix, FatDog64, Linux from Scratch, and some more core news with releases from the Wine and Vulkan projects. Later in the show, we'll check out some app news from OBS Studio, Headset Music Player, Borg Backup, and a couple desktop weather apps, one with a GUI and the other for the terminal. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get access to to this, plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also offers 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for two months for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. And with that $100 credit, you could try out a bunch of their small droplets or even some of their beastly droplets. If, so, like, for example, they have a 16-gig RAM, 6-virtual CPU droplet that has 6 terabytes of transfer. You can get started on DigitalOcean with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash tux or do.co slash tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. A version of the show this week is Lineage OS 16.0 was released. So up first in the show, before I move on, I actually said that already for the next topic, but because the announcement for this release was done while I was recording the this episode, this is basically like a ninja edit, and we're putting this back into the beginning because it should be. So up first in the show is Linux 5.0 has been released. Linus Torvalds has announced today, of as of recording, that the Linux 5.0 is now available. However, there's not really anything huge or ma- major advances that are coming out with this change to the 5.0. So, like, they're not naming stuff based on any kind of feature-based uh, milestones or anything. Linus said that he just ran out of fingers and toes to keep track of the naming for the 4.x series. So now it's 5.5.x series. So there, but there is a lot of cool stuff in it, and. Um, this one says, uh, so like the Linus said that about 50% of the work is in drivers, 20% is in architectural updates and 10% is in tooling. And the remaining 20% is all over like documentation, networking, file systems, header file updates, uh, core kernel code, and a bunch of other stuff. He says, no, nothing stands out. Uh, he says, I do like seeing how some ancient drivers are getting put out to pasture like ISDN, which is nice. But anyway, AMD FreeSync support is easily the biggest thing for AMD GPU owners. So AMD FreeSync is going to be supported in the Linux 5.0 kernel, paired with the Mesa 19.0 drivers. So it allows you to get um, uh, VESA Adaptive Sync and FreeSync working over DisplayPort connections for AMD users, which I am now an AMD user. And I will be streaming some more games with AMD because I can now, which is great. But continuing on this one. <laughs> so 
So this was one of the few missing things from the open source AMD drivers. So it's awesome to see that in there. But the Team Green or NVIDIA also is getting some, some new support because the RTX uh, Turing support is going to be in the Nuvo drivers. And uh, there's also some support for a Raspberry Pi. We're getting touchscreen support built into the kernel, which is nice, as well as some support for 4K screens, uh, improved support for 4K screens, and a bunch of other things. But for the most part, it's just the same old, same old of uh, every time a new version of the Linux kernel comes out, there's a lot of hardware, peripheral support, and just cleaning up uh, bug fixes and code and you know just overall polishing. So even though Linux is saying that it's not a huge difference compared to the 4 series, it is still always going to be a good thing to, for them to be releasing and a good thing for the distros to include because of all the benefits that the hardware gets and etc. So like for example, if you're a Radeon 7 user, having the Linux 5.0 kernel would be the best option because it has full support for Radeon 7, which just came out recently, which would be great. So hopefully since this came out basically a month and a half before Ubuntu's uh, next version of 19.04, maybe the Linux 5.0 kernel might be included in that. That would be awesome because if it is, then it might be possible for the hardware enablement stack of 18.04 to include Linux 5.0, which means that you might possibly be able to be using brand new hardware of the Radeon 7 inside of an LTS distro, which is crazy and potentially, if it does work, awesome. So that would be cool. But anyway, we don't know about that yet. Hopefully it does happen. But the Linux 5.0 kernel has been released, and if you'd like to learn more, I'll have a link to the announcement from Linus Torvalds in the show notes. This Lineage OS 16.0 was released. This is the open source alternative to Android. It's based on Android, but they take away all of the, like, ugh, about Android. So, like, the Google apps and the, everything like that. Uh, you can technically get the, the Play Store back onto it and use the Google apps if you do want to. But it also removes a lot of other headaches outside of just those things because there's a lot of stuff that Android does. It's not really good. But anyway, Lineage OS is like a compromise of still using Android as a base but having more control over the system. And this one, 16.0.0, is based on Android Pie, which is 9.0. And the Lineage OS team says that, that we feel that the 16.0 branch has reached feature parity with the 15.1 and is ready for initial release. With 16.0 being the most recent and most actively developed branch, uh, on March 1st, 2019, it'll be, it began receiving nightly builds, and they moved 15.1 to weekly builds. So it's now possible to set automatic update check intervals for the in the updater. So you can do uh, once a day, once a week, or once a month. So you can do updates for the lineage in a you know much more easier method. Because in really in Android, even you still have to go in and check to see if there's something new. And in this case, you can now set it up so that you can do it much more easily. They've also done some new changes to the system, like they've added a new uh, dark mode through the for the calculator. And now that kind of sounds like not really that important, but the reason why it is is because it's we're using the new Styles API from from Android pro project, which means that it's kind of implying that the dark mode will become like a global thing in Android at some point because of this API change. So it's possible that that will happen and the Lineage OS team says that now because of this they have support to use the dark mode in the future.
There's also said that they've done a lot of security patches since for the past few months or so. And they've upgraded their browser to use Chromium 71. And they are going to discontinue the older version of 14.1 of Lineage OS. And uh, that was that's actually already been discontinued. Sorry, I, I meant to say in the past they did. But anyway, so one of the cool things is that Lineage OS is supported by a lot of devices. They release ROMs for a ton of things. And this particular release, they have for they have for Lineage 16.0, they're going to be supporting 31 devices at launch, and will continue to add more devices later on in the future. When they when they first launch, they have a small subset of a couple dozen, and then they get up to like a couple hundred, depending on the particular release. Uh, it's really interesting because they have different versions of different devices from a ton of different manufacturers. Like, there's probably 15 to 20 manufacturers and there's probably at least a couple phones or sometimes even a dozen phones per manufacturer so it's it's really impressive the amount of work they do to make sure that if you have a that you have an android phone you could use lineage os so that is very cool and if you'd like to learn more or try out lineage os yourself i have a link to it in the show notes oh by the way it's not like a simple process of changing because you're essentially changing out your entire system like you're replacing the rom so while it is something worth looking into, it you might want to be, you know, careful when you do it and make sure that you get one that's a, get a ROM that's supported for your phone and both were supported by the developers, because it could end badly if you don't do it right or don't research it enough. So just to clarify that, but yeah, link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release from Wine. The Wine project had released 4.3, and this has a lot of updates. Uh, mostly it's going to be some changing to some uh, bug fixes and some maintenance updates, but they've also done a lot of cool things as, lo- as well. So first of all, they've updated the mono engine to the la- to use the latest upstream. They've updated to uh, using more uh, improved handling of kernel objects. And they've also done, um, what's really I think is interesting is that they've made it possible to support the mixing of DLLs from both 32-bit and 64-bits. So when you do, when you you can use those in your load path when you activate uh, different applications. So that's pretty interesting. So you now have the ability to do both at the same time. It used to be just one or the other, but now you can do both. Very cool. They've also done a, um, an interesting approach by re-implementing the X Audio 2 library by using uh, F Audio library. So F Audio allows the Direct X Audio runtime libraries to run on Linux. So they're going to be implementing F audio means that they're having Wine work um, with a much better sound component, so that games will work sound better, and various different applications that use sound heavily would uh, be better, higher quality. So very cool to see. And if you'd like to learn more about Wine 4.3, I'll have a link to the Wine HQ website in the show notes. DXVK 1.0 was released this week. And DXVK, if you're not aware, it is a Vulkan-based translation layer for the DXGI, or the Microsoft DirectX Graphics Infrastructure. So the purpose of it is to make it possible to use DirectX, uh, Direct3D 10, and Direct3D 11 inside of Linux via Wine, or via Proton as well. And DXVK is a really fundamental uh, piece of the Steam Play project in Proton for playing games through Steam that are like not related, not released on Linux uh, natively. So it's a very important piece. And the latest release of 1.0 uh, 
allows the showing of Direct 3D API level via the DXVK HUD. They've added minor improvements to the uh, RAD-V yielding, which, I mean, RAD-V yielding better shader code. And also, they've made some improvements for CPU overhead so it doesn't use as much CPU resources in order to accomplish what it needs to do. And this, uh, they've also made it, uh, potentially made it a better frame rate consistency for NVIDIA users with their proprietary drivers in connection with DXVK. So this is pretty cool, and uh, DXVK is a very fundamental piece. So uh, thank you for making this project, and uh, thank you for working with Proton as well, because this is a very important piece to the Linux ecosystem to get more users. And uh, just, you know, thanks, and uh, congratulations on the milestone of 1.0. So if you're interested checking out the DXVK project and its latest release, I'll have a link in the show notes. Up next in the show is another Vulcan Wine DXVK sort of topic, and this is D9VK. So D9VK is a fork of DXVK code base, but it, instead of doing the DirectX or Direct3D 10 and 11, this is to do Direct3D 9 support for Vulkan. So there's been work to try to get this into the main DXVK project, so that it'll be able to play old games that are no longer being maintained by the developers. So we're like DirectD9 has a lot of games for you know many many years ago, and this is a like an attempt to make those games work on the Linux platform via Proton. So D9VK is a fork of the DXVK project, and we don't really know for sure if it's a temporary fork and that their their plan is like ultimately to merge it back into DXVK or if this is actually like a true fork. So they haven't really said if that what the case is there yet, but it's really cool to see that they're working on this because, you know, making it possible to have uh, direct support for direct 3D 9, 10 and 11 would cover almost every game that's modern enough to try on your system. So that's fantastic news. And uh, if you'd like to learn more about D9VK, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is a follow-up topic from we talked about uh, OBS Studio a couple episodes ago. Actually, I'm pretty sure it was 55 that we talked about it. And while this is basically just a reiteration of OBS Studio, it also gives me another um, another appreciation for what they're doing with this release because I recently got a new graphics card. Now, first of all, let's talk about a little bit of what they're coming out in the new uh, version. So they've got new audio filters for uh, different scenes. They've added multi-track audio support through FFmpeg. They've added the ability to change the base output and uh, the base output resolution to the size of the source uh, to make it really quickly to do so. They've also made it possible to connect your Twitch account with OBS so that you can um, essentially log in to your Twitch account and have the Twitch chat built into your scene with OBS and is a lot. It's an interesting approach. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a, that's not available through Linux yet because they have to fix the plugin or the uh, the source that's not available uh, on Linux from the OBS uh, browser system. They are working on to making that browser uh, work properly on Linux, so that will be coming in the future. However, what is important is that they actually released this new encoder for Linux built in by default on OBS for VA API which is the API for hardware acceleration and hardware encoding for AMD graphics cards. Which means that 
now you can easily use OBS to run a game on your graphics card and OBS on the same graphics card, provided that you have a powerful enough card to do so. I previously did not. I actually had a card that could stream perfectly fine or play games perfectly fine, but not do both at the same time, which is good that they released this version, this feature in this version, because just a couple days ago, I got a new graphics card that's an AMD uh, card, and it's great, but without this support, it wouldn't be as you know efficient, and it wouldn't it would still have a problem with the bottleneck of the CPU and etc. However, the VA API worked fantastic because I streamed yesterday uh, some Rocket League gaming, and also I plan on streaming some more games in the future, as well as doing some like community games for a variety of different games such as uh, Ballistic Overkill, Zonotic, or Super Tux Kart and all kinds of stuff so people can if you want to feel free to join the discord server which is tuxdigital.com slash discord or the telegram group which is tuxdigital.com slash telegram to have a you know join in when i when i go start these games i'll announce it in those groups so if you would like to know oh, also twitter so you can follow on twitter too anyway if you'd like to participate in those things you're more than welcome to do so just join those and i'll have links to those in the show notes below as well but yes, OBS Studio is great. Uh, it's really a fundamental piece to this show. So, you know, anytime I get the chance to talk about it, I'm happy to do so. And thanks to OBS for making it support for that encoder, which makes gaming on Linux and streaming games on Linux much easier and much more fluid. So, thanks again for that. And if you have to learn more about OBS Studio, I have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is Headset. Headset 2.1.2 was released, and Headset is a desktop music player application built to use YouTube and Reddit. So it starts out with a home screen dashboard structure that shows a popularity of genres and eras of music, and then it also allows you to do YouTube searches. But what really makes it a interesting and powerful app is the Reddit integration. So you can do you can use Reddit uh, subreddits of different music genres as a sort of radio via Reddit. So it's an interesting app, and it has a lot of benefits, and also it has a little bit of a quirk that some people might not uh, like. It's based on Electron. So for those people who have a problem with Electron, there you go. But it does have a lot of interesting uh, features as well. So it has the ability to uh, share... Uh, you know, not share, but it has an ability to have music from over 80 uh, subreddits. It also categorizes the music and plays them automatically in like a, a radio style similar to Spotify. Uh, so you could say it's kind of like an open source Spotify that uses YouTube and uh, Reddit to accomplish this, the function. Uh, it's a pretty interesting application, and they also do have a pro uh, premium version. That's like $3 a month or something. It was less than that, but I don't remember exactly what it is, but something less than, it's like two something. It's it's interesting that it is open source, so you can use it, but they have extra, um, like a premium version that has extra bonus features. However, uh, it's not required to use the premium version in order to use the application. It's just an extra stuff that you could do. Uh, but anyway, it's a pretty cool idea. So if you are interested in checking it out, I have a link to headset in the show notes. So up next in the app news section, we have two uh, weather apps. But first, we're going to talk about Medio. 
I think it's how you say it, Medio. Uh, and it is a uh, GTK-based weather app that is using the Open Weather Map API. And it gives you access to uh, current weather, information about temperature, pressure, wind speed, direction, sunrise and sunset, like all the basics that you would expect a weather app to have. It also gives you forecast information like the next 18 hours or the next five days. And it also has it gives you the option to choose the units that you use for like uh, the temperature and wind speed and etc. So it gives you three options. One is metric, the other is imperial, and the other one is British, which until this live stream, I had no idea what that meant. Uh, thankfully, someone on the live stream clued me in that British means you have the Celsius temperature, but you use wind speed in the imperial structure, so miles per hour. So that's interesting. Didn't know that. Also, it allows you to choose um, your city in a kind of an easier way than you would normally expect because it, like with uh, Open Weather Map, that you have to know the city um, identif identifying number. Or in this case, they give it a map that you can just choose the area that you want the weather information for. So that is very cool. Uh, they also have uh, a lot of other weather info on these maps. So you can see like the temperature and like different ranges of the areas, uh, as well as a system tray indicator that you could use. So overall, this is a pretty cool uh, application for its purpose. You know, a lot of people don't like you know, care that much about weather. They just go up on search, you know, search engine or something like that, or they have like a panel applet for their desktop, their desktop environment. Uh, but this is gives you a lot more information and the uh, map stuff is pretty cool too. So if you are looking for a map, uh, what, if you're looking for a weather app, then uh Medio might be worth checking out. Um, it's actually interesting because this is kind of similar to Gnome weather, but Gnome weather has not had an update in a while. However, I did find out recently that a new developer is taking over GNOME Weather, so they might be adding some more features in the future. But in the meantime, Medio is a good option for people who are GNOME users. And from that application, I'd like to show you a console-based or command line interface-based uh, weather app called, I don't know how you're supposed to say this, but I assume weather.in. And this is an interesting approach because you don't really have to install anything. You just run a uh, a git or a, basically a curl or a wgit command on in your console, and it will give you the information through your terminal. So if you do curl wttr.in or weather.in, it will output the weather info based on your IP address. So it tries to geolocate based on your IP. And I've tested it a few times with some VPNs and everything, and it does pretty well to what it's supposed to be. So it's interesting. You can also choose to get the data from a specific city rather than based on an API. I'll have a link to the GitHub page for uh, WTTR.in's GitHub project because they have a, a inst uh, instructions for how to find the right city and how what the URL syntax should be in order to do that. So once you get your city, you can just copy and paste it or save it somewhere and make it a script or whatever you want. And that way you can, any anytime you want, check out the weather based on the, in your terminal. So that's very cool. If you do want to check out weather and you want a uh, terminal approach, WTT.in is a really good option. And uh, it worked quite well, super fast, and I'm, I was impressed by it. So if you do want that, that is an option for you, and I'll have a link to both Medio and Wetter.in in the show notes. 
This episode is also brought to you by Linux is Everywhere, the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt to be specific. It's a shirt I made to celebrate the proliferation of Linux. The concept of the design has tux blended into the background to convey the message, even if you aren't aware that Linux is there, it probably is. The shirt is available for shipping inside of North America and Europe. You can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere, or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. Up next in the show is the latest release of 8.4 from Linux from Scratch. So if you've not heard of it, Linux from Scratch is not necessarily a distro, actually. It is a book that teaches you how to build Linux distribution or a Linux system uh, from scratch. And it makes sense. That's the name of it. Uh, the latest release um, has updates to a lot of different things, uh, such as they got a new version of Bash, uh, Binutils, Glibc, and uh, many more. A total of uh, 33 packages were updated for this latest release. And there's been a lot of changes to the text in the book. They've also updated the kernel to 4.20.12, and they've also updated the other version of Linux from Scratch because there's there's Linux from Scratch, then there's Beyond Linux from Scratch or BLFS, and this gives you like a lot more features and extras on top of the Linux from Scratch as well as some binaries and stuff. Um, so they have multiple versions of Linux from Scratch book. You have the System D version or the uh, non-System D version. They also have a systemd and non-systemd version of BLFS. So uh, it's a really good way to learn the intricacies of Linux. So if you were ever curious about how to like how to build a system from scratch, this is the best way to do so because it's a nice guide that shows you how to do it. Now you could do trial and error and it would take forever, but this is a great way to get like at the lowest possible level but still have a guide to show you how to do it all. So it's a very cool book. Uh, it is it is pretty complicated, to, to be fair. So if you are interested, just so you know, it will take a while to do it, um, quite a while to do it, many, many days. So Because you have to compile everything, and you have to set up all the flags and everything, how it compiles before you get to the comp compilation part. So it's a bit, uh, it's a lot to do, but it is pretty cool. So if you uh, if you do want to try it, you could also take the other route of starting with you know, learning how to build Arch. And Arch would be a, a way to learn in a more uh, gradual approach. So you learn a, a an easier, more streamlined way to how to how to set up a system. And then you could transition to uh, Gentoo or Slackware that you learn even more, but still have a little bit of a um, little bit of an umbrella or parachute to learn from. And then go to Linux from scratch. Uh, because it is a massive jump if you've never done that before. Anyway, so if you are interested in checking out, I'll have a link to Linux from Scratch in the book in the show notes below. So for the next two more topics, we're going to stay on the Linux from Scratch side of things. Uh, but these two distributions that we're going to talk about are actually based on Linux from Scratch. So they might be a good introduction or at least uh, somewhat to try out Linux from scratch if you want to see how it's like before you go through the whole process. Uh, but Nutix uh, 10.6 was released this week. And Nutix, I think that's how you say it. I don't really know, but that's what I assume, is a distribution based on Linux from scratch. And they have their own custom package manager that they built. So it's cool because this has a, a lot of flexibility because it's based on Linux from scratch. So they have a lot of interesting approaches that they did. This latest release 
updates their kernel and they have two different kernel options you can use the 4.14 or 4.19 kernel uh, they also have a interesting approach to 32-bit and 64-bit versions uh, they have they have ISOs um, for 64-bit and 32-bit but they don't have multi-lib so if you were to use a 64-bit uh, version of their system you won't be able to install 32-bit packages as well because that would be a lot more uh, work than they were willing to do. So if you have 32-bit and you want to use 32-bit, feel free, but you won't be able to use 64-bit packages, well, at all anyway, but you won't be able to do the reverse either. This version, this release also made it possible for uh, Cards Package Manager to now track orphan packages and remove them automatically. If you go to their website, they give you these, these 10 benefits of Nutix and why you should use it. So I'm not going to cover all 10 of them because there's quite a few. Oh, well, there's 10, actually. But, you know, I have time for all 10, so I'll just cover a few of them that might be worth checking out. So, first of all, you can install Nutix from almost any other distribution, so you don't actually have to replace it. You just uh, download the bash script named install Nutix, or install dash Nutix, and you can try it out from wherever you want. The, it also has a ports collection system that is, like, super flexible with managing software, so you can have... Um, applications that are individual applications and also collections of applications so it makes it easier to install applications through these collections. You can do uh, binary install of Nutix or a source-based install of Nutix. So you can do compilation if you want. Now this uses their um, uh, recipes uh, port system that allows you to um, install from the from the source. It's interesting because it's very simple uh, scripts in order to, or recipes to make these scripts uh, so it's pretty it's only like 10 lines long or so so it's interesting that they can do this through their their cards pro system like uh, overall it's an interesting uh, distribution let's move on to the next topic which is also based on Linux from scratch is fat dog 64 has released their their version 800 and fat dog 64 it might be you might have heard it before if you are a fan of puppy Linux or known about puppy Linux it originally was created as a fatter or more um, has more built-in applications version of Puppy Linux. So, but FatDog has grown to become an independent distribution. So they say that it's been it's a matured 64-bit Linux distribution, but it still keeps the true to the spirit of Puppy Linux: small, fast, and efficient. So FatDog is uh, versatile. They have a lot of uh, interesting approaches because of how it's so. It is still. A very lightweight distribution so it can be put on CDs or any uh, you know live CD or live USB or whatever and what's really cool is that it, re it doesn't require any repartitioning of your system you can just install it and it stores the settings on your existing partition so regardless of where you're using a fat partition or extended four or NTFS even it has support for a bunch of other ones like it's it's a pretty cool approach uh, to the system because like it, it just recently switched from Puppy to Linux from scratch, so um, it's I'm I'm actually interested in checking it out because I haven't used it since it was Puppy based, uh, but that's also many years ago. But I'm curious about how they're doing their system because, well, one it's a fun name and two it's Linux from scratch and three it's meant to be a super fast lightweight system. So all those combinations, pretty interested. So I'm gonna check that out. Uh, so they actually updated this version to the latest Linux kernel of 4.19, or the Linux, the latest LTS Linux kernel. They've also added uh, Redshift, 
and they've had it made it easier to set the location for Redshift to be accurate to like automatic automating the activation of Redshift. So it has some nice uh, user benefits as well as being a very lean, uh, but robust system. So if you're interested in checking out Fat Dog 64, uh, their version 800, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next, Mozilla has released their Common Voices dataset. Uh, Common Voices is a project that Mozilla started, and the goal is to release voice-enabled products themselves, but also providing a a, a project for researchers and other people to create uh, their own products based on this kind of this data. So this is a multi-language data set that has 18 languages represented, including English, French, German, Mandarin, Chinese, and also many, many more, including uh, Welsh and one I'm going to butcher because I have never heard of this before, uh, Kabyle, Kabyle, I don't know, that's wrong. Whatever it was, it's probably wrong. Altogether, the new data set includes approximately 1,400 hours, close to that. Actually, at the time of this recording, it's uh, 1,361 hours uh, from clips, but uh, for more than 42,000 people. The data set is publicly available, so you can get it for startups, researchers, and anyone interested in just voice-enabled technologies. So you just you can go and try and get the data set if you wanted to, to kind of incorporate it into your own product if you want it. Like, for example, uh, Mycroft has chosen to include it in their open-source voice-based assistant. Uh, the same thing with Leon, which is an open-source uh, personal assistant, and they're going to be using the um, common voice stuff for them as well. There's also another thing that, that uh, Mozilla is doing, which is Project Deep Speech, and it's a open source speech to text or text to speech engine and training models for uh, machine learning groups. So the, this Common Voice is deeply connected to the Deep Speech. I didn't mean to mean I didn't mean to do that pun, but it's connected to Deep Speech, and it's an interesting approach because it allows you to create uh, you know an open source ecosystem for a competitor to Amazon Echo, for example, or the Google Home, and etc. So that's pretty cool. And uh, if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link in the show notes to the Mozilla's Common Voice dataset. Up next in the show is Borg Backup and Vorta. Vorta is a GUI for Borg Backup. We'll get to that in a second. But first, Borg Backup is a deduplicating command line backup program. The main goal of Borg is to provide an efficient and secure way to backup data. It uses a data deduplication technique that makes it possible for using transactional backups rather than having uh, a bunch of giant backups every time you make a an, uh, you make it make a backup and have a ton of different data that's duplicated. So it allows you to do transactional to make it where it's only saving what is changed. Uh, they also have an interesting uh, encryption technique which makes it suitable to they say it makes it suitable to use these backups in not trusted targets. So for example, if you were putting it on Dropbox, they say that it's, you know, you should you could be comfortable because the compression and the encryption would make it pretty much not likely for Dropbox to be able to crack into it. If you're wondering why I'm saying Dropbox specifically, it's because they have a master key that essentially allows them to get access to any of the stuff on their servers. They claim that there's they, there's encryption from using Dropbox. But if you have a key, that's not really encryption. Uh, but they use the LZ4 compression algorithm, and they use 256-bit AES encryption for their backups. Uh, also, I talked about Borg before on the show. 
on episode nine, way back in episode nine. And, uh, well, I'll just let, I'll just let, save it as a treat. If you decide to go and check out that episode, um, it's definitely interesting in comparison anyway. So yeah, now let's talk about Vorta. So Vorta is a fairly new GUI for Borg backup. Borg is a command line backup tool, for, uh, but it but it has a barrier to entry, obviously, because it has, it's a command line tool. Uh, for so, so some people who would like a GUI version, Vorta would, provides that with a Python approach, and it actually makes it a lot easier. Uh, it has um, a system trace that, that's built in to detect your system theme, and it also allows you to do auto-starting for the application so you can automatically have the backups running just when you start up the system. Uh, it also allows you to have control over choosing which kind of uh, compression you would like to use, like Zlib or ZSTD and some others. So it's a pretty interesting thing. It's available right now in a variety of different uh, repositories, so you can try to install. You can install um, pretty much both of these, you know, whatever you want, uh, whatever distro, because I mean, it's in a lot. So most of the major distros. Um, but anyway, if you'd like to check it out. Um, Borg Backup is the tool for the command line. If you'd like to use that, and if you'd like to use a GUI, Vorta is the option for that. I have a link to both of those in the show notes. Up next in the show, OnlyOffice announced that they have a new blockchain-based end-to-end encrypted document uh, document encryption for their Office suite. So it makes it makes sharing of documents more secure across multiple platforms. Is what that's how they describe it. So, it, in but the blockchain is used in a in the the way of sharing the passwords and the information. So it's interesting. So they only Office uses AES two fifty six encryption to encrypt the encrypt the files, and then uses data transfer with also support for collaboration uh, in a private blockchain network to store and transfer passwords privately. So the documents can be encrypted with a new end to end encryption. And, and this also supports a variety of different formats. And the format, so for example, it, it supports LibreOffice ODT, which is the open document text for, document, or text, uh, you know, and also they have the Microsoft Office DocX, XLSX, PPTX for Excel and for PowerPoint, uh, Oracle's ODS with the open document spreadsheet, as well as the ODX business process orchestration diagram file format used by Microsoft's BizTalk server. That was a lot. Users will also be able to securely share encrypted documents for real-time collaboration. Now, this is the interesting piece. So it's not only is it end-to-end encrypted and it's using blockchain, it also supports collaboration. So they say that all documents and user inputs are encrypted on the client side. Therefore, the data is transferred to the server in the encrypted form and is decrypted in real time on the receiving end if the user has the appropriate rights access rights to the document. So everybody is connected to the server and everything is being decrypted on the server side so it's being back and forth fairly quickly so it allows them to have a secure document approach while also having a collaboration approach. So I'm not sure how, like they say it's real time but I didn't see a demo of it so I don't know how like how real time it is but even if it's like slightly laggy it's interesting that it's even possible because it doesn't sound like it would be using the blockchain technology. So that's very cool and very interesting. If you'd like to check it out, I'll have a link to their blog post in the show notes below. Purism has announced Pureboot. Uh, Purism is the company behind the much-anticipated Librem 5 phone and also the Librem laptops. 
they've actually announced this new Pure Boot system, which takes privacy and security to the next level by replacing the system BIOS. So they state that the, the boot process and computer hardware forms the foundation of security for the rest of the system, which is fairly true. But there's some issues involved in that, but not exactly. But anyway, they say that they're going to replace the system BIOS by these type, like doing these things. First, disabling the Intel management engine, engine permanently, using core boot free software BIOS replacement, a trusted TPM chip for hardware key storage and decryption, using heads a tamper-evident boot software that is loaded from core boot, using multi-factor authentication that unlocks the disk, uh, disk encryption using the Librem key, and the Librem 5 USB security token. So all of these different methods make it possible to replace the system BIOS and making a much more secure booting process. So these processes combined help you in a case like a theft with, in case of theft with heavy, heavy encryption. It protects against BIOS malware, uh, kernel root kits. Uh, for example, the Librem key also detects BIOS tampers. So if someone tries to mess with your system, you just have the Librem key in, into your laptop and it will tell you whether or not the BIOS has been affected. Um, and also, uh, they use free software to... you. They, so you it, they, all of this is free software so you can audit the BIOS and, for security bugs or backdoors or everything, anything like that. So now this is specifically for their hardware because of all these all these different pieces of things that they can only do for their hardware. So their next laptops will have this approach. In some theories that it might be possible because the code is open source that someone another company might want to implement these things. But for now, Alibram is the is the only hardware that's going to have this. So they'll be shipping Pure Boot in their new hardware and provide an upgrade process for existing customers. All of this is expected to take place in the next quarter of this year. So it's very interesting that they're doing all of this work on top of also doing the Librem 5 because it the Librem 5 itself sounds like it's a lot of work to do just that alone so having something like this also in their you know on their plate is interesting and impressive so uh hope you i uh, hope this works out well and i hope the Librem 5 does uh, come to fruition because they did get a delay we talked about recently but their delay was reasonable because of some hardware problems uh, but overall i do hope this works out well and i do hope the Librem 5 comes out soon because i can't wait to play with that and it would be interesting to try out these to see how much they've done in as far as the security and the system bio stuff. So anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Pure Boot from Purism, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. You can, if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. If you'd like to submit some good news to the show, then visit the subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday, well, usually every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.